We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And after the last game, we are exactly halfway through the season with a 21-20 and record. And so in today's pod, we're going to just reflect a little bit on the first half of the year, kind of see how we're feeling. And Mike, what I'm most struck by with this first half of the season is how little we know this far into the season. We're certainly not at ground zero at the, the place where we started the season and we talked about the starting line of a marathon. We're certainly not there, but you tweeted out something yesterday about how the most recent starting lineup is now our currently most used group. The one with Stanley Johnson in it, who's on his second 10-day contract. And I don't think that there's any individual fact that represents the first half of the Lakers season more accurately than that. So I would love to hear where you're at with this team and also being in the room with all of these guys, kind of what you think the general sentiment is amongst the players and coaches. Well, first of all, I got to, I have to get a blessing from Darius to be doing all this lineup data searching that I've been doing lately. <laughs> I I had a period of time where our friend Joey Ramirez, uh, who uh-huh. does a great job mm-hmm. for us with the Lakers, kind of got me going on lineup data a couple years ago. And then, I don't know, I just, there was a point like early this season when the, it was just so much nonsense because the sample size was so small. I just, I just put it aside for a while. And now I've been getting back into it. So Darius, are you good with that? Or do I need to, you know, do We're I need fine. to? We're fine. Okay. But you know, we were a little bit of... um he was bumping uh, up uh, on, onto your corners. Yeah, he was on, yeah. You, you know, a l- little bit of Marlo and Bodie. Marlo, right? Marlo, okay. <laughs> then Slim Charles came and talked to me and said, you know about the old days? Those are the old days. And That's so right. we back on it now. And okay. we good. We good. All right. We're, all right. We're at a, yep. we're at a nice detente uh, then. That's yes. good. So yes. the, the idea with all this was, so first of all, the net rating, Pete, like what's funny is going into the Memphis game, the net rating for that group was 23.5. And then even though Johnson only played 30, uh, 13 minutes, it basically got like cut in half yeah. uh, based on how they played against Memphis. Right. So now it's only around, I think 11 or something. And and that just goes to show you, it, it should at least give you some pause in drawing too many conclusions uh, with stuff like this. But overall, the point is like, they've been pretty good. 
And I, I was looking at, as a point of comparison, to, to kind of hammer this point home, Utah, Golden State, and Phoenix. And Utah, so Utah's total minutes with their starting lineup, 446, the Suns, 396, and the Warriors, 347. Golden State, of course, will change now with Clay, But think about that. Like, the just the sheer math of 60, 59 minutes together on the floor – Versus, and, and this ignores that those teams, for the most part, were together the previous year. Why does that matter, Mike? Like in the grand scheme of things, like, for example, counter argument, I don't believe this argument, but that 2020 Lakers team, they were fish to water. Now they were healthy and this team has not been at any given given point. And I do think that has some degree of validity. But why does it yeah. what is what is the real life difference between, you know, 50 some odd minutes played for your greatest starting lineup versus 400? This is a yes and no answer, but the yes is overwhelms the no. So like there is you're right, there is a counterside to be made to it where if you put the right amount of talent together and and that team also is willing to all play hard together, then you can absolutely overcome continuity. So to like talent plus work ethic overcomes that. And then over the course of a season, you get to know enough to be able to go on a run like the Lakers did. And LeBron also just solves a lot of those problems, like based on like you don't necessarily have to have this great continuity of offense or whatever. If you have LeBron just out there in a playoff series, like, all right, we're going at this matchup. You go stand over there. uh, Watch this happen. And, And so that definitely mitigates some of it. But in terms of how teams start in the three teams that are at the top of the Western Conference, it's not just that they're talented. It's that they have they're benefiting from the system. And that that to me goes right in line with the with the injury games missed. So the Lakers have missed 132 player games to injury and 38 to the health and safety protocols. Utah's missed 16 games to their starters only. Golden State has, has missed 18, Phoenix 27. So these things go hand in hand, obviously, with continuity. Um, so I, I would, at this point, love to hear Darius now or Pete. I'm more than happy to have more wire references thrown I, in. I, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm hoping to explore here is, like, we don't know much and the details that we just laid out and comparing to the other teams, I think that illustrates that point, but we do know something. And so Darius, how do you, how do you split out like what we know, what, and versus what we don't know, considering all of the just revolving door of who's playing, what lineups on the floor and all that. I mean, it's tricky for the Lakers. One of the things that I would point to as well is that if the Lakers had sort of replicated the 2019-2020 formula of LeBron right, the same AD type of guys. and role players, mm-hmm. one of the things that Mike did not mention that I think is super important too is like, how confident are you in your role and your game and do you know, quote unquote, how to play? And so I look at the 2019-20 team and it's like, oh, look, Danny Green. Oh, look, Alex Caruso. Oh, look, KCP, Avery Bradley, like even to a certain extent, Kyle Kuzma, Dwight Howard, right? Like all of these dudes who were sort of like, yep, the thing that you're asked, like the ask that is made of me aligns perfectly with my game. And I know exactly how to go out there and play the thing and do the thing that you're asking me to do. That can also trump cohesion and chemistry that is gained over time. Because Pete, I'd never been in a band, 
per se, like with instruments, but I would assume Penis. this is very much like a band, right? Like you get a guy who's played guitar his entire life with a guy who's played bass his entire life and then a drummer and you put them in the room and they're sort of from the same field of style of music of play. And I bet you go out there you and can you could just be yeah. like, let's jam together. We're going to mm-hmm. do it. You right? speak the same language. Yes. And so the Lakers have not had a lot of that this year because they threw an ingredient into the mix in Russell Westbrook, which is a different type of dude that you need to adjust to. So the the band analogy, it's let's further that like we decided to play a different style of music this year, you know? And so if we, one of the things that last year's team had an advantage over versus this year's team is that even when LeBron and AD went down and we were ravaged by injuries, we still played the same way. It was the same guys playing the same style of basketball, but it feels like this season, Mike has been like the three of us are going to a concert, right? And we're going and like, we went a couple years ago and it was a, it was a, a, a symphony. It was a classical performance. It was really good. It was John Williams or somebody like that. Right. And so we go back to the same venue, to the same event. And we're thinking, you know, we're going to get that. But as they start populating the stage, as people start coming out, it's like a, pi- a piano. Okay. And then it's like, huh, there's some trumpet players. Interesting, I suppose. Right. And then it's like, Oh, now there's a marimba on stage or there's some gongas. And I'm like, that's what, that's what the whole like style of play thing was. We're just looking at the roster. I'm like, guys, we're at a, we're at a salsa concert. Like, I know this was a, a symphony a couple of years ago at this same place at the same event. I'm pretty sure we're at a salsa concert. And well, so that to me is one of the things that we've learned at, at this part of the year. I don't know if we're a good salsa band or not. I, I think we're like, we're pretty good, but I don't think that we're as good of one to to headline where we need to headline. But that's where I'm at, Mike, is that we kind of figured out like what we are and it's very different. Well, to invade on Darius metaphor corner. Now I was thinking more like the Beatles and LeBron is some combination of Paul and John, but you're going from the concert that you saw in like 1960 in Hamburg where it's like, please, please me. And I want to hold your hand and, and meet the Beatles. And then the next time you see them, is 10 years later uh, and the hair is super long. Like it still looks kind of like them, but completely different instruments being used, completely different musicality. And you're listening to like the Let It Be or Abbey Road album, um, plus some psychedelic drugs mixed in there. And it's like a whole different experience, but it's the same band. Um, and, and LeBron is kind of there with it. Um, I think I think we hit a lot of demographics with our analogies there. I hope that well, it, it lived up to your standards, Darius. The band that I really want to talk about though, Pete, is your band. And, so, no, 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 and no, no. We're I, not doing that. Oh, we're not doing that. I mean, just if you want to, I can get my saxophone from my mom's house in Maryland. I like when, when we go there to play the wizards, I will bring that back because you, you got the keys on lock. You got a bunch of other skills. You can, you can sing, but I can, I can give you a riff, a riff or two. If you want, you want, you want to jam. Is that what you're saying? I'd totally be down to jam with you. Yes. Yeah. Bring the keyboard (laughs) down to your place. I bet the little ones would enjoy that. Let's do that. Darius, you got some skills you can uh, throw in the mix here. Only on the mic. There we go. We can make that happen. Yeah, we can, tell me more. Yeah. How about we go to break and then I'll tell you a lot more and I'll tell you a lot more about where we're where the Lakers are at halfway through the season. All right. I do have a LeBron point too to get back to basketball, but you know, I, I want to see how, how much we can get out of Pete there. Let's go to break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, then talk to me about LeBron here and and sort of because I think LeBron's been an interesting guy within the context of, A, he's playing great. And I think in the moment, he's been excellent. But he has also been someone who's talking about the long view and talking about like reps and this idea of we need the reps. And so I don't know what point you want to make about LeBron. But one of the things I've been noticing is that it's the combination of, A, this dude is great still. So his demise was forecasted too soon. And this idea of change is he is navigating that in a very interesting way to me because he's trying to bring the team along with him and still compete, but also understanding that there's missing pieces and that the team has not been whole. And getting those reps together, I think, is a point that he's been trying to go back to multiple times, especially over the last two to three weeks as the team has gotten its footing and made progress. But he understands the long game is still there and he's still playing it. And part of it is there's been so much change. There's been so much change that the more change that you have to what a team is, the more time and repetition you need to get that acclimated, right? I think to say the 2001 title, we went from Glenn Rice to Horace Grant, but the rest of the team was basically the same. And so Glenn Rice and Horace Grant were different style of players, but because there was that continuity elsewhere and Mike, now it's just LeBron and AD. And when you throw the injuries into that, there's no continuity at all. And so I I think that like we have an idea of what we're supposed to be, but it will be the reps that determine, oh, that idea didn't work, but this one did. And then it's just a series of, the, of that throughout the rest of the season. Well, OK, so first thing, and this isn't this isn't the point I want to make, but I think it's important here for this season in the context of it. LeBron has been incredible offensively and especially as a center, especially as a scorer and his defensive numbers and just eye test has has not been as consistent and this is the part, the part to me where, well, how could it possibly be regular season early, him having to do everything, age 37. But there have been moments where he's spectacular defensively, like as the low man and his stocks are way up. But there have also been moments where he clearly needs to, you know, to save some of the energy uh, for either the offensive end or just for the 365 day calendar. And and that's reflected some in the stats. So, so just two years ago, 1920, LeBron was 112 offense. 103.6 defense plus 8.5 overall. And this year, right, it's plus, it's like the offensive numbers are very similar. Uh, forgive me one second as I, as, I, as I pull it up here. So one, 
12.7 offense, 111.5 defense. And the net rating is just 1.2. And that doesn't tell you everything. There's a lot of that's lineups. Yeah, it's a, a lot team of it's, stat. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a team stat. But like, nonetheless, just I, I think the eye test does back up. So when we say LeBron's been fantastic, we can't, the defensive end, we shouldn't expect that he's able to also completely carry this roster then. But I just think that's a differentiating factor to some extent. But to kind of loop the continuity into it, and you guys feel free to poke at that um, as you get in here next, like he he was asked about the lineup with, with him at the center and the stability. And he basically just said it's knowing the rotation and the rotations are going to be crisp when it's like that. Everybody, when they're when they're going in, they know they're getting subbed out at certain times. We know who's on the floor, um, how you're playing with that particular group. Because of COVID-19 at the time, as I paraphrase, and having new lineups and having no players at the time, it was hard to get that chemistry when you're on the floor. So, like, he even with Russ, like, he hasn't played that much with Russ with the other three guys being a certain type of player even, let alone the same guy. So all of that's together. I just wanted to to factor in the defensive side of this conversation uh, when, when we talk about LeBron's year this year. Yeah, I guess I'm willing to give LeBron a pass um, on what he's looked like defensively considering the load that he's carried offensively and and how much they've needed his scoring, right? And I think that that's the point that you were making as well, Mike. I also think, too, that some of the issues with the team's defense relate to not having Anthony Davis. And even when they've had Anthony Davis, like how engaged he's been defensively and how what schemes the team was running at that time and who was on the court with him. And how up to speed a lot of the other guys on the court were with what the expectations were from a team that's coached by Frank Vogel. I'm hopeful. And Pete, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts about this, both on what we've seen and where the team is going. Right. But whether or not Anthony Davis is going, I hope he's pleasantly surprised with some of the progress that some of the guys around him have made defensively and and how much that impacts the asks that are made on him and whether or not he can be the heat-seeking missile that he's been when he's at his best versus being the human eraser, which is what he's been asked to do a lot in the minutes that he has played this season. And that's a different mentality, right, for a player of of AD's capacity. Maybe we can get to that more in like the last part of the pod because forecasting out i think is going to be interesting about where where this team team is going but yeah. at, at the, like at the halfway point like i'm seeing progress made but i'm interested to sort of see where your head is at particularly around the defensive stuff yeah i think those are certainly going to be the that's what is yet to be known and yet to be learned about the team we talked earlier when when frank went out with with covid um about how there's probably some value in stepping back and stepping away from being in the day-to-day grind, at least in the same way, obviously. Both him and AD are very engaged in the day-to-day, but it's just not the same when you're not doing doing it. And so that thousand that, you know, that five thousand foot view over everything is probably helpful for AD. Uh how he interprets that and where that goes I think that that's going to be part of the learning process because what I wanted to establish at the first part of, of this pod is like, what do we know in the little that we know? Yeah. What do we know? And I think that like the LeBron at the five and or playing smaller, that that is the best version of this team. It remains to be seen if it can be good enough, but the best version of us is this team that plays a little bit smaller. And part of that, see, with respect to LeBron, I, I view his defensive season in two different parts. I thought he had many games in the first part of the season where he just wasn't there. He wasn't tagging guys. 
when he's at his worst, he's one of those guys that just stands there and John Conchar dives from the corner and gets a tip jam when his job basketball wise to was to crack down on him. And there were those games were no, more numerous also as his body is healing from the adductor strain, right? These things are all tied together. His he's physically getting right. Um this second half, and especially with the microball groups, I actually think his defense has been fantastic. If I could just zero it in on that stretch. Now, the Memphis game was not. And the thing about the small groups is you can't not play hard. And this was really central to a lot of your points yesterday, Darius. It was like you when you're small, like if you're big and lazy, you're still big, right? Like people still got to shoot over the top of you. You're still an obstacle or a hindrance. If you're small and not moving all around, that's just, and it becomes just this deluge. And so those nights where he does choose to turn off the defensive intensity now are so much more harmful than they were with the bigger lineups. And so I think that wrapping AD into that idea is AD to me is defensively going to be a hybrid between a five and the traditional four position that he had been playing in previous years. I would love to just deploy him on the perimeter and him just re- just wreck shop the way that he always does. That's really him defensively at his best. And Vogel has spoken to this, that he likes, that's why they like having him at the fours. He's just all over the place. Just, he blows things up. He blows things up situations where it's like this is supposed to work but he's so good he's such a freak athlete and has a great understanding of how to close out and and use his body that it doesn't work mike and so all of a sudden it's like this thing that was supposed to now what do we do this was supposed to work you know the the one thing i'd add into is the separating the half court in transition and sort of the overall thing and what memphis was trying to do was calculating LeBron, especially at the five, like in the half court, as you just said, Pete, can be great, like organizing everything, uh, super strong, quick hands. But like he's if you if we really try to push every game, given what LeBron has to do, is he going to be able to really sprint back and transition? And will anybody else be able to make up for it? Right. Right. Is there another athletic freak? Mm -hmm. Yes. And if and so like even if if you get Avery Bradley sprinting back in transition isn't going to do a lot to, you know, to, to certain guys that are that are getting out there on the wing. And Stanley Johnson's good for that, right? But but then how about Malik Monk? Now Malik, like Malik will block your shot. But yeah, he's an athlete. He's just small. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. So if you a certain kind of guy is it can kind of just wall him off, right? And and so that that I think is that's kind of the new as the league watches tape and stuff, and they watch that Memphis game, like oh okay, look, this is what you got to do with this Lakers group. You actually got to run at them on the other end and yep. basically run you know, at and a running so that's, team. Yep, that's yeah. how it always goes. Yep, and that there you go. So, so we're going to see that in Sacramento, you know, and and that's I think been one of the ways why they've been able to hang. So I, I just I just derailed that a little bit, but I think that's that's one no, of that's the key great. points there. I want to keep talking about what we know and what we don't. The stuff that we don't know is almost all related to lineup stuff because we the Lakers have not had the opportunity to deploy their best groups against a large enough sample of teams. Russ, LeBron, and AD have been in the same game 15 times. 15 times. They played 41 games now, right? And so it's almost like basically a third of the season, the, a team that is built around three stars. That have never played together before. And that it's like a... And DJ is so, playing with them. Yeah. Right. For, for a good half of that, exactly. And so... The ideas of like, if you look at the first third of the ha- first half of the season, like I'm using, <laughs> I was told there would be no math. Sure. 
I get it, right? But my kid is learning fractions right now, and so it's been on my brain. But can you have, can you first, even help with that at this point? Or is it I like, can hey, because just... I'm okay, good at math, go. Mike. There I'm go, good bro. at math. Yes, that's right. The lineup data stuff that translates to different areas right. of it's my life. Right? His, it's, he's kept the skill over the years. Yes, look no, at that's how data. you sharpen iron sharpens iron, and and so. <laughs> I don't even know if SAT scores still tr- like they. What we all had back in our day, uh, you know what? Forget that. <laughs> Go ahead. Lakers have played forty-one games. I would say in the first thirteen to fifteen games, the team was clearly like on the wrong track. Clearly, right? They mm-hmm. were decimated by injuries, and they were playing multiple big lineups. And it was just like, okay, we're playing all of our bigs. LeBron's mostly playing small forward, right? And all of the guards are out. And so it's just like, oh, well, this isn't what we thought it was going to be at all. There's too many guys who were hurt. In the next 13 or so games, it's just like, okay, we're starting to figure some things out. It's like things are starting to find some shape. Oh, like DeAndre started but didn't get a second half shift. Oh, look, there's Dwight Howard. Like, oh, let's try LeBron at center. Oh, that worked. Interesting. Let's tuck that away. Right. Mm -hmm. There was more of that, but it wasn't all in. And in the last 13 to 15 games, it has been, ah, this is who we are. We are a small ball team, even against a team that will maul you. We're basically not going to play bigger at all. Oh, Minnesota is getting a thousand offensive rebounds. I'm going to fight the urge to put my center in, in those lineups, because in the first part of the season, in those first 13 games, one time, and in the next 13 games, one time, those, when we played big, that same team did this same shit to us, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is a learning, right? Like that machine learning, the Lakers have done that. And so what we know is what the team wants to be and a sliver of the version of the team that is available now is totally on board with doing those exact things, right? And they fit to that. And I think the learning phase is almost over within the context of this group, right? But this group is still missing one of the key pieces of the entire team. And integrating that dude back in is how Rocky or smooth that goes is going to determine what the rest of the season looks like. Like, of course, injuries and other stuff will will play a part in that as well. But but in an ideal world where basically this is the version of the team that that you have, if integrating AD back in is hard, then the rest of the season is going to be hard. If it's easy, the Lakers are going to go on a run. And I am confident in that. And so if you want to talk about the things we do and do not know, that's what I know is that's what this first half of the season has taught me. Let's kick it to break. And when we come back, I want to give one last thing that I feel like I know about this team before we look ahead to what comes next. The last thing that I know that I think is really important, that is the the final boss of this season, if this season was a video game and we're about halfway through it, this is the final boss that you got to beat at the end of the game, is we're going to beat a good team that has size, on the guard spot, wing spot, center, but we're going to play a good team that has size that is going to collapse into the paint. 
against us. I was sending you guys uh, clips yesterday of Memphis had five to seven guys in the paint on a regular basis. And so the to me, the reflexive reaction to that is, isn't the five out lineups, the LeBron at the five lineups, supposed to be the lineups that resolve this? And what it is, is I think it speaks to the point of, even when we go small, from a defensive coach's point of view, the teams that defend us, if the question is, do I want LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook putting pressure on the rim, or do I want them or anyone else shooting jump shots? I'm going to choose the jump shots even still. And so the even just having the trio that we have, to me, turns that dial of you are dangerously on the precipice of not being able to win simply because you can't make a jump shot. And that's also why I was freaking out about DeAndre Jordan, because it turns that dial even more severely in that direction. But that is the the one last thing of of like, we're going to have to either break down the castle walls of how teams tried to defend us of just build that wall in the paint, make us shoot jumpers, or we're going to have to shoot jumpers and, and beat teams in that way. It's probably going to be a blend of both, but I think that there are, there are plenty of defensive questions with this team, but I think that optimizing our offense is something that, and I don't normally think this about a team. This isn't something that I normally think that that's how that team should win. But for this particular team, if we find ourselves in stretches where we can't score for three minutes because we can't make a jump shot, that's the most dangerous territory there is because we're not going to be, even with LeBron, even with AD and all of that integration, we have holes defensively. We have guys you can attack that we have to play a certain level of offense to have a shot. So you just talked for a fair amount of time. I'm going to ask you to talk some more. So where does Russell Westbrook fit in to this? He's super important, mm-hmm. right? And one of the reasons why the paint is crowded is because that's that's the approach defenses are going to take against him specifically every single time. LeBron, over the course of his career, has proven, you play that way, I'm going to beat you eventually. I will beat you. I will make him personally, I will make enough jump shots in order to win. Anthony Davis in the run to the championship, he said, oh, you're going to pack the paint against me? I'm just going to shoot jumpers. And in the run to the championship, he freaking made them all. Like he made them all mm-hmm. like he was Kevin Durant. And so Russ, to this point in his career, he has not proven he is going to beat you that way. And so talk to me a little bit more about where you see him fitting into that idea, right? Because the idea of breaking down the castle walls, that definitely has a little bit of rust tinge to it to me. It does. And that so Russ's offensive value in high level basketball is very limited to a, a very specific role. But I think or he can do a couple of things. But that breaking down the castle walls, what I mean by that is if if you're listening, if you remember the finals of this past season, Phoenix versus Milwaukee and Phoenix goes up two zero. But if you watch the basketball, like by game four or so, it was pretty absurd basketball because it was basically Phoenix saying, we're going to take all of our smaller people and you've got like the most physically imposing player on the planet. We're going to take all our small group of folks and then DeAndre Ayton, of course, and we are going to pack into the paint. And that left Milwaukee with the choice of, okay, we're going to take jump shots with a guy like Drew Holiday, whose jump shot can completely abandon him. And he did. He had a couple of like three for 19 type of games in the playoffs. And and so the choice for Milwaukee is either we're going to take these open sh- shots with guys whose jump shot can abandon them from time to time, 
or we don't care that you're down into the paint, we're still going to try to bully our way through you. Now, this is very different than regular season basketball. Um, but in the playoffs, this is something that becomes more and more frequent as matchup hunting becomes really the, that happens a lot in the regular season, but matchup hunting becomes the name of the game in many respects in the playoffs. So Russ can be one of those players where you'd see Drew just plowing through guys and missing layups in sometimes humorous ways, right? That remind you of anybody? Um, but that him getting Kobe assists because it drew two guys because the second defender had to come over. That was part of the clips that I was sending you guys yesterday is like Memphis was basically double teaming Russ and double teaming off of a THT saying like, if THT's jumper is going to beat us, so be it. That's one of the ways. I think it's the less effective way. I think it's the second pitch to being a cutter and screener off of the ball. In the half court, I've come to realize that I think there's a difference in expectation of Russ's scoring. Um, like I have much lower expectations of him on what he's capable of doing as a scorer in the half court. And that's something that sparks a whole nother question of like, well, if he can't do that, like what, what can he do? How can he help us? To me, ultimately, D, he is our second big man. That is something that when the three of them are on the floor together, th that's he can he can be a hybrid big or he can be a, or he can be a point guard. We had that game against Boston in L.A. where one of their strategies was we're just not going to have Williams come off of Anthony Davis. We're going to stay with him. And Russ had like 24 points. Those are the games where it makes sense to give him the ball and go to the basket when they're defending him like that. When they're defending him like he's in like he was in Memphis, those are the games where LeBron becomes your point guard and Russ becomes your second big man. And he's in the dunker spot and he's cutting and he's setting uh, pin screens, but then he's like the fourth most Im important guy on offense, but he can do those little things. And that fills a role that I think is a new developing position in the NBA, which is that Gary Payton, the second, uh, Bruce Brown, those, that micro ball five, that's kind of this shop wrecker that usually is not that much of a playmaker. Like, I think Russ's ability to be either that guy or the if we're if we're really staying at home at LeBron and AD, oh, I'll totally attack the basket. I can get there 12, 15 times in this game. And I think that's how I see him fitting in in, but we've got a lot of work to do to get there. These are the asks. And I think it's fair to be skeptical that Russell Westbrook is going to fill these asks. Like I've talked all season and before the season you've even started about show me. Show me you're willing. Now, Russ in the dunker spot, I think he's more than willing to do that. Russ as a ball screener, I think he's less amenable to that. He'll do it sometimes, but I don't think it's part of his natural instincts. And I also think that the coaches maybe need to reinforce those ideas a little bit more. But I also think that the coaches are in reinforcing the idea of, well, we actually want a shooter screening for LeBron James more, right? Because that opens things up up in ways where Russ can be a cutter off of the ball a little bit more. I'll be very interested to see the role that Russ takes on when Anthony Davis returns, Mike, because in my mind, when Russ, AD, and LeBron shared the court, and I brought this up earlier, it's only been 15 games, in those possessions, he is the clear third option. Sometimes fourth if Malik's on the Sometimes floor. fourth if, depending on who the other guard is that's on the court with him. When Russ and LeBron share the court and AD is off the court, then Russ is probably the second or the third option. And then 
when Russ and AD shared the court, Russ needs to have the ball again as a driver of offense. And that's a lot of hats for a, a single lot of different player jobs. to wear. And it's a lot mm-hmm. of different jobs. And it takes a lot of flexibility for a player who has been rigid over the course of his career about how many hats he's willing to wear or is capable of wearing, not even willing, but capable of wearing effectively over the course of a single game, much less like a series or a season. Where are you at in terms of, A, do you think it's possible? Because I'm skeptical that it's possible. But if it, if it is possible, like, I, do you agree that this is the best version of what the Lakers are going to be considering what they're built to right now? Because AD is coming back. They have to figure out their path with this group. I think I veer towards you, Darius, and that I need to see it for a while to really think that that's going to um, to the degree that it's going to work. But I'm not focusing on it right now because I don't think that's within like that's something that just has to either work out on the court or not. But it's going to like yeah. it's not we can't change that by thinking, well, what about if this lineup? And so I'm more thinking of can the rotational pieces around it now that you have in theory, everyone available. So I'm looking forward to Kendrick Nunn and really seeing what he is. And, and then once we get a good week or two look at him, then we should know. And I guess I say we as an us on this podcast, but but more importantly, the Lakers coaching staff and the Lakers front office. All right. Well, here's the, th- the three guys that are going to be on the court. Has Malik Monk really nailed down um, the spot that he's in? It, you know, is that is that going to be something that's still there? Is Avery Bradley nailed down that spot? And then if so, then like which bigger wing guy do we do we have to like Ken Stanley Johnson or or Ariza, one of the two? Can one of those guys establish that spot or do you need to go get it, uh, get a different player there? And that to me is going to be the things that the Lakers can control, who to feature, which role guys to play in that spot. And, you know, Russ is going to have to figure out the rest of it. As he says, after most every game, like, I'll figure it out, I'll figure it out. That's on him. That's on him to figure it out. And uh, and the the team has to think about sort of what to do around that um, to optimize it. I think there's evidence that he's in the process of trying to do it. I don't think it's a coincidence that he doesn't have a zero turnover game for like five or six years. And then he has two of them in three games. He's, I think that's a clear indication of a mentality shift or at least an effort to do it a different way. Now, guys, if he's let's just do- a little bit too, though, Pete, a little bit too ball out of his hands, a little bit less, right? It, it has mm-hmm. the ask of him a little bit less assists also down. Right. He's mm-hmm. had he's had five assists, two assists and six assists. He had that one 13 assist game against Atlanta. So it, it kind of goes hand in hand with that. So that my conceptualization of Russell Westbrook's fit on this team has always been through the lens of a guy that can do a little bit of everything. That's what a triple double is, right? He's the triple double king is you contributed in a, a couple of different aspects of the game. That's what triple doubles have always glorified, right, is that ability to dominate in multiple areas. Now, there's a whole philosophical conversation. Does a triple-double mean that you had a good game? Absolutely not. But that I, I don't think that anything that Russell Westbrook will be asked to do as a third option is outside of his capabilities or things that he's done on some level before. I think that it would be foolish to be like, ah, maybe this year's playoffs, he's going to hit that elbow pull up from 15 feet when they're sagging five feet off of him because he's wearing a Lakers jersey now. Like, I bet it's going to happen. Oh, those spot up three. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the stuff to me where it's like, you're fooling yourself if you don't think he's going to have a late game turnover that everybody cusses him out about in a playoff game on Twitter, right? Like, that's going to happen. 
what I'm saying though is that the ability to contribute, especially on a team that's so top heavy, the the last we gotta we gotta close here, but the last thing that I think we know about this team is that it's very sensitive. Like you have to play the right lineup with this team. We have to have your top three guys. It's tops it's star heavy by design. So anytime one of the top two guys out are out, especially, is that's something where the rest of it is not built to sustain one of those losses. And so anyhow. Going forward, that fit of Russell Westbrook, he like how he fits in was the thing that we needed to know and need to know as soon as possible. Let's cut it here. Let's come back tomorrow and talk some Russ. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.